from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Washington Watch. Coming up. The Hyde Amendment is a discriminatory policy, and for more than 40 years it has been routinely extended every year as a legislative writer. But the time has come in this current moment to reckon with the norm. That was the chair of the House Appropriations Committee, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, at a virtual hearing today where Democrats in the House want to reverse a 40-year-old policy and force Americans to fund elective abortions in the nation's Medicaid program. Will they succeed? Dr. Andy Harris, a member of the committee and a congressman from Maryland's 1st Congressional District, joins me in just a moment. And you might recall a church case out of Nevada, went to the Supreme Court for emergency ruling and uh, was uh, denied. Well, they're back before the Ninth Circuit. Now, this is a case where the governor favored those pulling one-armed bandits in casinos over those saying prayers at church altars. Well, today, a judge on the Ninth Circuit that heard the oral arguments in the case said he couldn't stop laughing when he read the briefs defending Governor Sisolak's policy, which suggested patrons at casinos are better at following rules than parishioners at churches. Ryan Tucker, an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, who is representing the Nevada Calvary Chapel Church, is here with the details of today's hearing. As the election dispute continues... Uh, As I've said many times, we need to be aware of what could be around the corner in a Biden administration. Yesterday, Dan Celia of Financial Issues said the economy would be fine for about eight months. Then the sticker shock will hit Americans as the radical policies of a Harris-Biden administration are put in place. Among those policies, reentering the Paris Climate Accord, which will put the freeze on real job creation and economic growth. Stephen Moore, economist and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and a member of President Trump's Economic Recovery Task Force, explains later here on Washington Watch. And yesterday, Cleta Mitchell was here discussing the lawsuit filed on behalf of the Trump campaign last Friday in Georgia. In that filing was a revealing sworn statement by a former Department of Justice attorney who is now a commissioner on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. The statement lays out the facts that uncovers the nationwide coordinated effort to influence the election outcome. J. Christian Adams is here later on Washington Watch. You don't want to miss that interview. TonyPerkins.com is the website. If you miss anything on your way home, you can find it all later right there. Let me remind you, I mentioned this yesterday, but uh, next Tuesday evening, that's December the the 15th, we're going to have a pray, vote, stand rally in Cleveland, Georgia. That's at Truett McConnell University in Cleveland, Georgia. To find out more about how you can be a part of that, who's going to be there, we'll have uh, Congressman Doug Collins will be there, uh, the two Senate candidates. Uh, Kelly Leffler has been invited. I believe she'll be with us, and uh, Senator Pruitt, um, Purdue. And uh, also we'll have uh, Todd Starnes and Ralph Reed will be joining us and uh Possibly, we may have former Governor Mike Huckabee. So to find out more about how you can be a part of that, even watch it online, go to prayvotestand.org. Also, we've got folks standing by tonight to take your phone call because as we come toward the end of the year, we've got some generous supporters that have put forth a $1 million matching challenge. So anything that you give before December the 31st will be doubled in its effect. So give us a call. We've got team members standing by to take your call, 1-800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or you can visit TonyPerkins.com. 
Com. All right, as I mentioned, historic hearing today, uh, virtual hearing, from the House Appropriations Committee, where for the first time in 40 years, there is an effort to force taxpayers to fund elective abortions. Here's another clip of uh, today's hearing with the chair of the hearing, uh, Congressman DeLaroa. Roe versus Wade is the law of the land, yet for too long, some women in this country have been denied their right to an abortion. Joining me now to talk more about today's hearing, Dr. Andy Harris. He serves the 1st Congressional District of Maryland, and he is a member of the Appropriation Committee. Uh, Congressman, welcome back to the program. Uh, It's good to be with you, Tony. All right. So, I mean, no secret any longer that the Democrats want to repeal the Hyde Amendment, which has been an annual rider on the appropriations bill for the last 40 years that protects taxpayers from being forced to fund abortions. Um, Are they going to succeed? Well, I don't think so, but it is part of their radical agenda. There's no question about it. Uh, This would be if, if, uh, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris become the president, vice president, be the most uh, progressive anti-life administration ever, uh, probably even outdoing Barack Obama. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is I don't think they're going to have the uh, the votes to do it because I think uh, that uh, I think we're going to win those races in Georgia, and I don't think anything's going to get past the Senate. Did you – was there any new revelations today in this, uh, this hearing? I mean, we, we've known for a while that this was a priority, but did they say anything that was kind of revealing of the, uh, the tactics that they're going to take? Well, the most revealing thing is that apparently anybody who thinks that uh, taxpayer dollars shouldn't be used to pay for abortion is a racist, Tony. And, and you know, look, I objected to it. I actually asked our witness, who, who is a black woman, uh, doesn't, doesn't she find it disconcerting? That, uh, that doesn't she find it disconcerting that she is uh, being is suggesting that she's a racist because she uh, you know doesn't support Planned Parenthood or in fact opposes public funding of abortion? Uh, but but that's that's the tactic. The, if you're a pro-lifer and you God forbid don't want to uh, spend pu- uh, public taxpayer dollars on abortion, then uh, uh, by definition you're a racist. Yeah, I, I watched your exchange there, and I thought that was uh, very real, revealing because that that's one of the things they. They often use almost on any issue to try to silence the opposition is call them racist. It was interesting. The chairwoman, Rosa De La Oro, uh, as she talked about this issue of the Hyde Amendment, talking about it as a discriminatory policy. Uh, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, yet for too long some women in this country have been denied their right to an abortion how is it they're being denied their right to an abortion, Congressman, simply because ta- other taxpayers are not forced to pay for it? Well, a- a- again, th- that's not what this is just about. Uh, again, a-, a radical position, a radical pro-abortion position. It makes no sense whatsoever. Obviously, no one's denied a right to an abortion. Uh, you know, I actually suggested that, you know, maybe Planned Parenthood with the money they made off selling fetal uh, body parts, maybe they should have used that to pay for abortions for women who couldn't otherwise afford it. They actually are a C3 charity, so maybe they, they should be paying uh, for abortions for women who can't afford them, not asking uh, taxpayers to do it, the, a large percentage of which, a majority of which, believe that public funding really shouldn't go to pay for abortions. 
when you look at this issue in, in, in your exchange with uh, the witness that actually uh, was the only pro-life witness there from the uh, Christina Bennett from the Family Institute of Connecticut, uh, she made reference to how Planned Parenthood actually is really the racist organization. What did she uh, what did she point out in her testimony? Absolutely, Tony. And this is what's most striking. In fact, uh, it's well known that Planned Parenthood was founded uh, by Margaret Sanger for the specific purpose of decreasing the black population or, the, or decreasing the growth of the black population. Uh, so uh, to, to somehow suggest that restricting abortions by Planned Parenthood is, is racist is, is just, uh, you know, it, it falls flat on its face. Uh, as she says, you know, Planned Parenthood targets putting clinics in black neighborhoods. Uh, they target minorities uh, actually for for increasing number of abortions in those neighborhoods. If anything, uh, you know the, the the people who want to defund Planned Parenthood are supporting again black communities. In fact, one of the lowest blows was when one of their one of their witnesses actually criticized uh, crisis pregnancy centers and somehow suggested uh, that they, they they were evil in some way. Uh, but again, none, none of this makes any sense. Uh, and I, I do believe that uh, the common sense will prevail, that, uh, that the pro-life position of not forcing uh, the use of taxpayer dollars to fund abortions in the end will prevail. Yeah, I think, uh, as you made reference, Bennett, actually, she actually said that about 80 percent of the clinics that provide abortions are located within black and Latino communities. So clearly a, a targeting of those minority communities. And it's just it's fascinating when you look at the listen to the rhetoric of those on the left talking about, uh, you know, how removing the Hyde Amendment would be uh, bad for women of color and it's an anti-woman uh, of color uh, initiative, when in fact it's the exact opposite. Their Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry are targeting women of color. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And, and their policies, their other, uh, and I put in quotes, reproductive health policies uh, actually uh, make abortions more likely, not less likely. Uh, they, they, may, they make vast profits from, uh, from, from uh, doing abortions. Uh, this, this just makes no sense. It, again, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, but, you know, Planned Parenthood, again, uh, you know, they're in the business of abortion. Uh, they want more federal dollars to flow into their coffers. That's what this is all about. This is about to get the federal taxpayer, uh, you know, to, to flood the coffers of uh, Planned Parenthood. You know, as you pointed out about uh, maybe they take the profits that they've garnered from the selling of uh, baby body parts. But if you look each year, Planned Parenthood turns, even though they're a nonprofit, they turn a profit. And we're talking about a billion-dollar organization. If, if they were so concerned, about women, uh, you know, of, of color that they say, not being able to get abortions, they could provide that service or they could take some of the political campaign contributions that uh, they make uh, and what they spend on elections. Maybe they could use that to direct it if they're so passionate about getting abortions to these women. Oh, absolutely. And, and Tony, as you probably know, you know, the, the head of uh, Planned Parenthood, this nonprofit, is, is paid in, in salary and benefits about a million dollars a year. Uh, you know, I, again, uh, you know, if you're a nonprofit, uh, you, know, you shouldn't be paying a million dollars a year to your leadership uh, when you could be spending that money instead of going to Congress and begging for federal dollars to pay for abortions. You should be using that if, if in fact, 
uh, again, as we as you mentioned before, if in fact uh, you know people don't have access to abortions, but we know it's there. There's far too much access to abortions, and uh, really, uh, you know, I find it very hard to believe. I, as I said in Maryland, uh, it, it, this is a canard because every Medicaid uh, patient who wants an abortion gets them in Maryland, uh, despite the Hyde Amendment, because of the huge mental health loophole that exists mm-hmm. uh, in in a lot of states. So, so Dr. Harris, final question here is we're almost out of time. We, we know it's not about access because we, you just addressed that issue. We know it's not about funding because Planned Parenthood's coffers are filled with money, and the left could easily uh, do this if this was what they were passionate about. So what is this really about? What is this about in trying to force every taxpayer in America to be a part of abortion? Uh, this is, Tony, this is about an anti-family agenda that the uh, liberal progressive socialist uh, left wing of the uh, Democrat Party is all about. It's an anti-family move. It's, it's to somehow suggest that having children is a burden. Uh, is a, and it was even brought out in today's testimony uh, that somehow having a child is a burden. No person should be expected to, uh, to bear. Yeah, it's and it's it's kind of like the, the last vestige of defense of life in federal policy when it comes to spending and they want to, they want to remove it they want to eradicate any any barrier to their leftist agenda uh, dr andy harris thanks so much for joining us today great to great to be with you and thanks for standing up for life on capitol hill thank you tony all right coming up we'll talk with uh, ryan tucker senior counsel and director of the center for christian ministries at alliance defending freedom about the oral arguments today before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals challenging the Nevada's governor, the Nevada governor's rules treating churches worse than casinos as a result of the coronavirus. So stay tuned. We're back after this. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. 
All these resources are free and available at frc.org slash worldview. Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. Let me remind you, um, we've got folks standing by to take your call. If you'd like to partner with us because of a challenge match, everything you give will be matched. The effect, doubling your gift between now and December the 31st. We've got team members ready to take your call. Give them a shout. 800-225-4008, 800-225-4008. All right, I'm, I'm sure you recall um, the, the part of the Bill of Rights that expressively, expressly defends the right to gamble, to attend a casino. In Nevada, the freedom to gamble seems to have replaced the freedom of religion, or at least that is how the Nevada governor, Steve Sisolak, interprets the Constitution. Well, today, oral arguments were presented before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to challenge the latest coronavirus restrictions that prioritize casino attendance over church attendance. Joining me now to talk about what transpired in those hearings today is the senior counsel and director of the Center for Christian Ministries at Alliance Defending Freedom, Ryan Tucker. Ryan, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hello, Tony. Thank you for having me. So, Ryan, what can we take away from the oral arguments uh, earlier today at the Ninth Circuit? Well, I I think they went great. It was a three-judge panel. They all asked uh, very uh, insightful questions, and a lot of them uh, were premised off the Supreme Court's recent action uh, in New York, where uh, Governor Cuomo had instituted uh, restrictions that really uh, targeted the church but also just treated them less than, than other secular entities. And uh, the the justices, the judges, were very receptive to our arguments today, and uh, we're hopeful uh, that we'll be able to declare what Governor Sisolak is doing there unconstitutional. Now, Ryan, I, I saw where one of the uh, the judges uh, of the panel said that as he was reading the briefs, uh, he couldn't stop laughing. Um, <laughs> it, 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 tell, yeah. tell our listeners about that. Sure. Well you, well, you led the discussion with the idea that there's no First Amendment right uh, to gamble. And uh, the uh, the attorney for the state of Nevada 
uh, both at the trial court level and now at the appellate court level, uh, made an argument that, well, it's okay for casinos to be open because they're, you know, quote unquote, more regulated than the church. And the, the judges uh, would have none of that discussion today. And, uh, you know, it's it just really insane to think that, uh, you know, at the outset, the casinos, when they reopened, they were opening at 50% capacity. So you could have hundreds, if not thousands of people on the Las Vegas Strip and the MGM Grand or one of the other large casinos. But this church, Calvary Chapel, Dayton Valley, which is in rural uh, Dayton, just outside of Carson City, they were limited to 50 people. And, you know, it, it, it's not just, again, un, un, unsensical or nonsensical. It's just unconstitutional as well. And and I really do think that the judges um, recognize that today during the discussion. So just so our listeners are clear on this, the, what the, the law allows for is that in cases of emergency, public health, the government can restrict certain activities if they're reasonable and for a set time. But religious, constitutionally protected acts, such as religious expression, exercise, cannot be treated more poorly than something else. So, as you said, the casinos could open up at 50% capacity, but the churches, regardless of the size of their sanctuary, they could have a sanctuary that seats 3,000, but they're still only allowed to have 50 people, right? That, that's, a, that's exactly right. So you, should, you could have a large uh, church in, say, Las Vegas or Reno or just anywhere in the state uh, like you mentioned, operating at, say, 2,000 people on a normal Sunday, but under the governor's restrictions would be limited to 50 people. And, you know, the the court uh, in, in in recent days at the U.S. Supreme Court and uh, in a few instances in some other courts around the nation are beginning to realize, or at least have stated, that you can't be treating the church uh, and, and its members um, in, in a second-class capacity. You can't place priority on uh, liquor stores, on big box stores, on you know other retailers, and uh, not at the very least allow the church to be operating uh, at those same restrictions. You can't treat them less than these other secular comparators. So, Ryan, what is the process now? What's the time frame? When do you expect to hear something from the Ninth Circuit? Well, we hope soon. Uh, the, the court, again, was very receptive to the arguments today. Uh, our hope is that we would uh, hear something, you know, in the, in the coming days and, and, and possibly weeks. Uh, your listeners may be aware of the fact we have filed uh, a cert petition, a request, the United States Supreme Court, uh, to to actually hear this case. So, depending on how the uh, the arguments uh, pan out, how the written ruling uh, is um, delivered, we may very well be at the U.S. Supreme Court uh, once again. But we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, and just pray that uh, this decision comes down quickly so that these uh, these churchgoers in the state of Nevada uh, can have an opportunity to go back and, and, and worship um, the way our Constitution uh, has designed for them to do so. So the opinion that comes down from the, the Ninth Circuit, do you see that as being limited to this one church, or will it uh, most likely affect all the churches in the state? It'll, it'll affect all, all the churches in the state. Certainly that's what we've requested. Uh, we've asked that uh, the, the governor's restriction be uh, struck down. And so this should have uh, an effect on the uh, churchgoers in the state of Nevada. And, of course, it's the Ninth Circuit. So depending on 
um, the, the the court's rationale, uh, exactly what they say in the decision, it can have a, a, a more far-reaching uh, component than just simply uh, this church in, in Dayton, Nevada. Right, right. Uh, actually, the entire West Coast almost. Uh, well, Ryan, you said there's something we need to be praying about, and I know you're going to be joining us tomorrow night for our Pray, Vote, Stand, our weekly uh, gathering with folks praying. At 8 p.m., you're going to be joining us, and we'll be praying about this and other cases regarding religious freedom around the country. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us, and again, uh, just great work at ADF. We appreciate you guys a whole lot. Thanks, Tony. And, uh, folks, mark your calendar tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be uh, holding our weekly Pray, Vote, Stand uh, broadcast. You can find it at uh, prayvotestand.org. All right, when we come back, top of the list. There's a lot of stuff at the top of the Biden list. But one of the things that could really freeze economic growth, the job creation, is the pledge of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to reenter the Paris Climate Accord. We'll talk about it with Stephen Moore next here on Washington Watch. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Tony Perkins, Merry Christmas, and welcome back to Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, if you're on uh, Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. We've had a few folks uh, join us on Parlor, And also, some uh, phone calls coming in, and if you would like to partner with us and have your contribution doubled, give us a call, 800-225-4008. Folks standing by to take your phone call. 
Unofficial President-elect Joe Biden is already priming America for some uh, hefty changes. While President Trump and his administration has put America first in our foreign policy, Joe Biden looks to be, you know, get, getting in step with the Obama view of foreign relations as a seeing it as a popularity contest. Biden is planning to rejoin the Paris Climate Accords if he reaches the Oval Office. So what does that mean for Americans? What does that mean to, for our economy and for job creation? Joining me now to talk about the implications of this is economist and member of President Trump's Economic Recovery Task Force, Stephen Moore. Stephen, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. Great to be with you. So let's just get to the bottom line. What would it mean to the average American out there working day in and day out uh, to put food on the table, to put gas in the car? What will it mean if Joe Biden re-enters the Paris Climate Accord? Well, I think he's deadly serious about doing this, Tony. And, you know, as you mentioned, I, I serve for uh, President Trump. And one of the most courageous and smartest things that Trump did was pull America out of the Obama uh, era uh, Paris Climate Accord. It is a, it is a travesty. It, it, it doesn't put America first. It puts America last. Uh, it uh, it uh, makes the United States typical of a, a treaty. We pay all the bills, right, Tony? And right. Uh, we suffer all the, you know, we, we make all the sacrifices. We shut down our energy industry. China, by the way, which is by far the world's largest polluter, by far, and the second world's largest polluter is India, uh, those two countries don't have to do anything in terms of changing their behavior for another 10 years. Do you know that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, <laughs> so, it, you know, I mean, it's it, crazy. It, they can't believe that we would do something that's the leaders in Beijing are probably dancing a little jig right now, that we would do something so stupid. And they, I guarantee you, Tony, because I know a little bit about China. I mean, I worked on China issues uh, with with uh, when I was with the uh, president. China has one goal in mind, and only one goal, and that is world uh, economic dominance. And do you think they care a bit about a whit about climate change? Not at all. Not at all. Not and, and we're do- not at all. It, they they are so excited. You're absolutely right. I think they are they are excited that America is going to enter enter into economic competition with our hands tied behind our backs. This is right. this reminds me okay. of like one of those uh, college. Uh, you know, when you're in college, you do those uh, group projects, and you're the only person willing to work. Everybody else is they're, they're sluggards, and 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 you're right. They we are the, we are going to pull the weight on this. We're the ones that are going to abide by the rules. We're the ones that are going to have energy costs go up. We're the ones that are going to lose, uh, you know, this the rapid job growth that we've been experiencing, and and yeah. they're going to be laughing the whole time that they're doing yeah. circles around us economically. Well, let me let me use a, another analogy. You know, it's like uh, you know everybody's on the top of a a big uh, cliff, and you know, okay, let's all jump over the cliff. And, and China and India and Russia say, okay, America, you jump off first, and we'll be right behind you. I mean, that's sort of what they're doing here. By the way, don't forget uh, that uh, Russia is also a big winner here because Russia, uh, it, the number one producer of natural gas in the world, is the United States of America. The number two producer is Russia. So you better believe Putin cannot believe how lucky he is. I mean, Russia probably did collude to get to to get Biden elected because they are the big winners here. They're going to now dominate uh, 
Tony, the entire uh, Western uh, Europe, because they're the only ones who will be able to supply Europe with the energy that they need through these pipelines. When we should be the one providing the uh, the natural gas, ours is cheaper than theirs is. But we're going to shut off the uh, the spigots because we, you know we we think somehow a hundred years from now this is going to change the weather. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't hurt to remind folks, uh, Stephen, that under President Trump and his policies, America began exporting energy. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. We're no longer dependent upon the unstable Middle East, which was a national right. security issue as well. This is going to put us back on a path to that same dependency on the Middle East, which has been a security issue. And I mean, this it, it, it is absolute foolishness. So I, I think you and I are about the same age. I might be a little older than you by a couple of years, but I'm old enough to remember in the 1970s when Jimmy Carter was president. We had the gas lines, and you know, every time you go to the, you know, the gas station, the price would be you know 30 cents a gallon higher, and it went up and up and up and up and up, and it just crippled our economy. And OPEC, remember OPEC? We don't even talk about OPEC anymore, but those, the, the Saudis and the, you know, those countries had a knife to our neck, and now we're gonna we're gonna fall right back into that trap. Right. And, and, and don't forget the interest rates and what happened during that period of time oh, yeah. as well. Yep. Uh, it was it was uh, it was. In fact, it made Jimmy Carter a one term president. Uh, Stephen Moore, thanks so much for uh, joining us and for staying focused on these issues and uh, sounding the alarm. Glad to have you on. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Tony. Merry Christmas to you. Bye. All right. Uh, and, folks, stay with us. Yesterday we were talking about Cleta. Uh, Cleta Mistral was on talking about the lawsuit that she filed. One of the sworn statements in uh, the lawsuit filed by the Trump campaign last Friday in Georgia was a sworn statement by J. Christian Adams and, and basically systematically laying out what's been happening across America in the last year. Fascinating. He joins me next. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. 
Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins. You're listening to Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, we've got uh, team members waiting to take your phone call if you'd like to partner with us to make sure that Washington Watch continues on the airwaves of America and that Family Research Council, our team, stays on Capitol Hill influencing policy. Give us a call, 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. We have a $1 million matching challenge. Anything you give will effectively be doubled. So give us a call. Folks standing by to take your call. Yesterday, Cleta Mitchell, an election attorney, joined me uh, discussing the lawsuit that was filed in Georgia on Friday seeking to invalidate that election because of violations of state law as to how the election was done. It included several sworn affidavits of uh, affidavits of people that had seen uh, witness, been a part of. Uh, these are statements made under the penalty of law. Uh, one of the statements, though, that was in there was a statement of fact uh, by J. Christian Adams. Been on the program before. He uh, was uh, at the Department of Justice a number of years ago in the voting section of the Civil Rights Division. Uh, he is a lawyer. He also is a commissioner on the Civil Rights Commission appointed by the president. Uh, but what caught my eye in the sworn the statement that uh, he presented as a part of this case is uh, is quite revealing because it, I think, provides what many people have been asking for, and that is, all right, where's the evidence? What, what, what's, what's taking place here? We, we, something doesn't look right, uh, but help us put the, help us connect the dots. And I think that is what uh, uh, Mr. Adams did, and he joins us now by phone. Uh, Mr. Adams, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a delight to hear that something I wrote caught someone's eye. Well, I read all. Th- I mean, I'm I'm kind of one of those policy nerds to to some degree, so I read all this stuff. But I, right. l- let me just walk. Let me walk through this because I, I want you to explain it to our listeners first. Summary of opinion. 
that there was a well-funded, coordinated nationwide effort to dismantle and nullify state laws designed to ensure the integrity of elections. These efforts, and I'm quoting from your statement, were deliberate and funded by hundreds of millions of dollars from ideologically motivated philanthropic sources. Explain. Right. And we saw this, Tony, in litigation. We saw this with the hundreds of lawsuits who were brought to strike down state election integrity laws. When I mean election integrity, things like ballot signature requirements, witness requirements, having your ballot come in on time. How about that? That it arrives by election day with a postmark. All these cases were brought all over the country. And if you look at the statement I filed, I I get into a summary of all the different states. There's 30 states where this happened, at least. The other thing that happened, right, the other thing that happened, which I think is almost more important, and that's the hundreds of millions of dollars that came in through the Center for Technology and Civic Life. And I think people need to know more about this organization than they need to worry about Dominion voting machines. Because the Center for Technology and Civic Life transformed city election offices. It was private money that they gave to the government offices that run the elections in Philadelphia and Detroit and Milwaukee and Atlanta and all over the country to build in structural bias. In other words, make the system work differently to help one side. And I think that's the real story of this election is the dismantling of state laws and the building of structural bias through billionaires giving half a billion dollars to that effort. Yeah, and about 2,500 grants were given. I, this is actually on their website. I went to look after I read your your statement. I went and did my own research. I went. They have their website up, and they actually have a map, and they have uh, uh, pinpoints uh, every place that they made contributions uh, to um, help with these voting laws, early voting, voting by mail, electioneers, people working. So, I mean, it's 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 fascinating. Uh, and I would think that in some ways, you know, I don't know every jurisdiction. Every jurisdiction is different. But I would imagine that private money influencing elections in this way could be a violation of law. Well, I had hoped that that was the case. When I first heard about this happening, get this, Tony, way back in March, this plan was being cooked up in March by left-wing groups. And when that happened, I started digging very deeply into whether it would be a violation of law. And it turns out there's generally no prohibitions against people giving their own money to the government. I know it's so outlandish that we have a hard time understanding it. Like, why would you ever give a million dollars to the government to run their offices? But that's what they did. What I've then looked into is whether or not, whether or not, they were using the money in a way that was contrary to state election process law. In other words, if the state says you have to give your ballot to the election official, were they doing it differently? In other words, were they breaking state laws regarding the process? And while I didn't do it in every single location, I concluded that they generally were not. And so this is how diabolical they are. They they have devised a scheme where rich leftist billionaires can redo how elections are run. For example, they gave Philadelphia $10 million. You know what the budget of the Philadelphia election office was before that, Tony? It was $9.8 million. So they doubled the budget 
to send people door to door in Philadelphia, knocking on doors to collect ballots. Now, this was this plan apparently was kind of in the works before the coronavirus hit. But when the coronavirus then hit, it was like pouring gasoline on a fire. They saw the opportunity. And, and this, in part, explains some of the draconian responses to the virus and the um, the media flame, fanning the flames of fear. And, and so it was like it was a perfect storm for them. Well, that's exactly right. You can't leave the house, so the election offices will come to you, and they'll stand there in your doorway to collect your ballots, you know, through a genuine election official, right? And this isn't a ballot harvester. This is a city employee who was hired with this money. They, they, bought, they hired street activists to become city election officials and then go into neighborhoods to collect ballots. That's not ballot harvesting. That's the government coming to get your ballot. And so they, and, but they yeah. So you're you're doing it. You're, you're you're doing this under the auspices of an official capacity, but you're actually doing what you know, like activists in California do in ballot harvesting. You're doing it in these cases in these jurisdictions with with a badge of an official badge of being a part of the the the, uh, the election process. Bingo. And and to make matters worse, they actually hired the activists that they knew very well like in Philadelphia from various activist organizations. They just so they didn't hire like, they didn't hire the college Republicans? No, that's exactly. You're getting it now, Tony. They, that's right. And look, you don't have to commit a crime in Philadelphia to, when you go to these people's doors to get them to vote for Biden. It's about culture, and you know about culture. And even if Trump got 15% of the black vote, meaning much more than any Republican had before, if you increase turnout in Philadelphia or Detroit like this money did, it doesn't matter if you increase your share of the black vote because they were going door to door to collect ballots from low propensity voters. OK, so to, to show that this wasn't just, you know, you, you happened to stumble upon one particular case. I think there was there were a couple of people organizing this. I think you made mention to the Michigan secretary of state, uh, uh, Jocelyn Benson, uh, discussing these plans to pour this private money directly into state and local election offices. But you've gone through and you've documented, as you said, what it looks to be about 30 states where this was actually happening on the ground, where they would use courts in some cases, uh, trying to overturn the laws that were put in place by legislatures. They use sympathetic uh, elected officials. So uh, clearly there's got to be something here that I think would cross the line and could invalidate some of these elections. Well, that's that's what's and I use the word diabolical very deliberately. That's what's so diabolical about what they cooked up, because it really doesn't. I mean, they turned the illegal into legal. They turned what used to be ballot fraud into court-sanctioned modifications of the law, and. Remember, courts signed off on a large amount of this stuff in, 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 in Virginia, in Nevada, in, in, you know, all across the country. And I detail it in my, in my uh, sworn statement. And so they turned the illegal into the legal. And therefore, what can you do about it? That's the problem. 
Well, they turned it into the legal only by going to the courts, but it's not the court's role. This is something that is preserved for the legislatures of the states to determine the process by which people vote. So I think this is what opens it up to challenge when it comes to the Electoral College and who selects the electors. You're exactly right. It is the, it is the job of, of the legislatures, but they got enough courts to sign off on it, and they're using this long reservoir of history of deference to courts on issues like this to basically challenge our side or President Trump or however you want to say it to go ahead and dare the Supreme Court to do something that they really don't want to do. That's what they've done to unravel uh, the harmony in this country by daring the Supreme Court to strike this all down in one fell swoop and basically unleashing, I'm afraid, if they did, a whirlwind politically and culturally and civically like you have never seen for 140 years in this country. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But what this is, what, why this is uh, so shocking to me is that to see all of this in one setting, as you have outlined these 30 states, to see the coordinated effort that took place here. You know, I knew, uh, you know, my home state's Louisiana. I was talking with lawmakers and, you know, that they were trying, the governor was trying to change the policy there and voting for absentee voting and early voting. And it, it was it was fascinating just to watch that one state. But I didn't know that this was happening the same place in different degrees happening in other states to see this coordination is eye-opening. So, uh, Jay Christian Adams, who t- t- who are some of the people funding this? Who, who put this money into this organization that put these grants out there to manipulate the system? Right. Well, I'll give you two names that many of your uh, 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 viewers and listeners will already know. One is Mark Zuckerberger, who is the billionaire founder of Facebook. He, he is one of the biggest donors, and he's not embarrassed by it, by the way, that these people are totally happy and, and unapologetic for what they did. They're not hiding. So Mark Zuckerberger is one. All of the Soros philanthropies, the Open Society Institute, the Tide Foundation, the Kellogg's Foundation, please don't buy cornflakes, folks, the Kellogg's Foundation, all of these, Ford Foundation, all of these groups have funded the litigation side of this to undo our state election laws. These left-wing philanthropies are aligned against our our laws to protect our elections. And they have been, by the way, for years. I've been in this fight at the Public Interest Legal Foundation for a long time and then, you know, before that. But now I think everybody understands what it's all about. Again, this is something that I'm sure they've been working on for a while, but it was like the coronavirus gave them the perfect cover. The media aided them by fanning the fear of the coronavirus and now it all makes perfect sense. This this is a, as you said, a diabolical plot to um, basically take over the country. Right. And you don't even need to get into voting machines. OK, like th- this all works even without voting machine issues. You 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 use culture and tendencies in places like Philadelphia and breakdowns in the system through vote by mail and lack of transparency by vote by mail, and the coronavirus uh, panic, and everybody goes to vote by mail. You can do this without actually committing crimes, without actually right. uh, uh, rigging but a, ballot machines. But, yeah, but a little crime adds a buffer to it. That gives you a little cushion. Absolutely. Uh, right. Which is what right. they did. 
it, it, amazing, amazing. Uh, Jay, Jay Christian Adams, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Outstanding work. Um, I'm hopeful that someone can use this to uh, bring greater awareness to what has happened in this election, and hopefully maybe the Supreme Court will take a look at this. So uh, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Absolutely. Uh, folks, uh, Jay Christian Adams, you can uh, you know find out more about him. Go to my website, TonyPerkins.com. I mean, this is it, it is eye-opening. The left is organized. And as he pointed out, some of this, I would say, borderline legal, uh, but using the courts to change the laws, usurp the, the authority of state legislatures to change the voting procedures. They've been, uh, they've been working overtime uh, to take control of this country. And uh, believe me, all of those that had a part in this, Zuckerberg and others, um, there'll be a payday. They want a payback for their contribution of giving uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden the reins of government. We've got to be on our toes and uh, working just as hard to uphold truth in our culture and our country. Uh, a lot of work ahead of us, folks. Um, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. We're out of time for today. We do have folks still standing by. Time to take your call, 800-225-4008. Now more than ever, we've got to be here in our nation's capital upholding faith, family, and freedom. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.